In November, we did a series that we called Out for Delivery. And here was kind of the point of that. We live in a time in which we can track our purchases. So many of you probably have tracked a purchase this week or so. You order something online, you place the order, and then you wonder where it's at. Well, you can go online and you can track when it shipped, where it is right now, and when it will arrive at your door. The ancient world didn't have the ability to do that, but there were promises that God made, and then people waited and waited. And what we seek to do is go back to some of those encounters, some of those people, and see what we can learn about Christmas by looking at those individuals. So we started in November by looking at Adam, and Adam kind of presented the need for Christmas. Then after Adam, we looked at Ruth, and we said, everybody's invited, those that are expected and those that are completely unexpected. Then we looked at Naaman, and the point there was, the experts can't supply the gift that we need, only God can supply the gift that we need. And then we ended, Jason last week talked about Esther, and what Esther does is that reminds us that celebration follows identification. So we looked at kind of out for delivery for the month of November. Now we're going to unbox Christmas. And we're gonna do that in four different ways. This morning, we're kind of preparing for Christmas. And so it's kind of, how do you get prepared? It's December 1st. What can we do over these next few weeks so we don't miss Christmas? Next week, we're gonna have Jingle Jam. We already saw the video for that. And that's kind of family fusion on steroids. So come prepared to look at Christmas a different way. We're gonna have the kids in here. It's gonna be a great morning of celebration with lots of joy. Then on the 15th, the morning that section C and E load the truck, on that morning, we're gonna do Simply Christmas. And we're gonna kind of back things down a little bit. We're gonna kind of reflect. We're gonna read all the sections of the Bible that we have on Christmas. And we're gonna kind of intersperse some carols and songs so that we can reflect and remember in a more quiet way what Christmas is about. Then starting on the 22nd, that's Sunday, we will begin Christmas Eve services. Well, one service that Sunday morning, two on Monday, two on Tuesday, and you all have your part that you need to play in it. So that's kind of how we're going to unbox Christmas this December. We need to plan to be here at each of those because they kind of build and help us understand things from a slightly different perspective. Well, this morning we're going to uh, prepare for Christmas rather than just use preparation as the title. I thought I would title this, uh, get a grip, get a grip. Well, just like Justin kind of went to the dictionary to understand what adore means, uh, I went to Google to understand what get a grip means, because I, I like the title, but I wasn't quite sure what different people thought. And so here's what I found on Google. Here was number one. When I said, get a grip, the first thing that came up is the old Aerosmith album. Remember, how many of you remember Aerosmith, get a grip? Complete with the cow utters on the cover. So that was get a grip with Aerosmith. The next thing that came up, toilet safety, get a grip. Some of you have railings installed in your bathroom. Well, get a grip, that's what some of it means to you. I was reminded, get a grip may need, I need to see Paul Clemens and get new grips for my golf clubs, that's what I need. Maybe you need non-skin surfaces in the bathroom or in your driveway, get a grip. But here's what I mean. Let's stop freaking out and be able to slow down. Let's treat life rather than being out of control, Let's see if we can work to control this month so by the time it's over, we don't look back and say, boy, nothing of significance happened. Let's look back and say, lots of significant things happened because I sought to get a grip rather than lose my grip this December. Well, let's uh, first talk about losing our grip, losing our grip. 
There are two main ways that we lose a grip this time of year. We lose a grip with time and we lose a grip with money. Isn't that right? Nothing like December causes us to fill our schedules and empty our wallets. Right? Isn't that right? And so time and money, that's how we lose our grip. So let's first of all, ask it on it. We're all among friends. So let me ask you, honestly, how many of you would like more time? Raise your hand. Just a little more time. Yeah, most of the rest of you are lying. Yeah, we'd like a little more time. A few more hours in the day would be nice. A few more weeks. I was already reminded three times this morning. Do you realize this year it's the shortest period of time between Thanksgiving and Christmas than it can be? Three times people told me that today. Why? Because we lose our grip on time and we need more time in order to get to Christmas. I was reminded a couple of weeks ago of how we lose time, not only at this time of year, but forever. I met with a few executives at a meeting and um, they're changing some roles in, uh, in the company. And so I asked three questions that I thought were kind of nice and would get us started and pretty easy to answer. I said, what do you need to stop doing? What do you need to start doing? What do you need to continue doing? So we talked for a little bit. The first guy that spoke, here's what he said. I can't stop anything, but after this discussion, there are a whole lot of things I need to add. That's what happens this time of year. We are incredibly busy January through November, right? All of us are busy. Then when we get to Thanksgiving, we don't take things out of our schedule. We keep up the busy pace and we add a bunch of other things to our schedule. So now we have to shop and now we have to have lots of meals and now we have to go to church more often and now we have to do decorating and we've got, we wind up adding stuff but nothing gets removed. And before you know it, we lose our grip on time. I made up a little quiz just to see if, I'm, if you need the rest of the message or not. Uh, don't give, give your answer. You may be embarrassed, but just kind of keep your answer to yourself. See if you need a little more time. I often feel that there are, there are not enough hours in a day. You ever feel like that? Here's one. I usually underestimate the amount of time it will take. So you remember one time, six years ago, it took you 13 minutes to get to work right? You hit every green light. There was no traffic. Now, every day you plan 13 minutes to get to work, which means you're behind before you get there. We underestimate the amount of time. Do you ever do that? How about this one? You find impatience moving you to anger. Does that ever happen with you? Um, I'll shoot straight with you. I occasionally will hope that the people in the other car don't go to Calvary Church, right? <laughs> Here's a true story. I was driving um, a few months ago. I'm driving on this, on this back road, and this person in the white van in front of me was driving me nuts, right? So I am pretty close to him. I'm, I'm pushing, trying to get him to go at least the speed limit. That would be nice. And we hit a red light. I see the van door open. It's like, uh-oh, road, road rage is going to shoot me, right? He gets out. It's a guy from Calvary Church. Charles, are you in a hurry? That's what he said. It hasn't quite cured me, but it's, it's gotten me a, a, a little better. Do you regularly procrastinate, right? Your schedules, you don't have time to do it, but you keep saying yes, but then you have to start postponing and procrastinating on other things because you don't have enough time to get it done. But maybe here's the most serious one. At this time of year, in between Thanksgiving and Christmas, do you find superficiality and stagnation creeping into your spiritual life? 
So rather than being a time when we give thanks and are grateful for what God's done, and rather thinking about our need and the awesome gift that God gives, we're so busy that everything is superficial and we're stagnating rather than actually growing deeper. That's what losing a grip is about when it comes to time. If we don't get a grip, that's superficiality, stagnation, procrastination, anger, all that stuff is going to be right there for us. Well, how about when it comes to money? How many, how many of you would like a little bit more money? Yeah, everybody's hand went up for that one, right? Time, maybe, money, oh, yes, yes. Um, I remember somebody saying to me a few years ago, and I, I'm convicted whenever I think of it, so I'm going to share it with you. A person said, Charles, you have enough time to do everything God wants you to do, and you have enough money to do everything God wants you to do. I hate that because I feel like I never have enough time and I never have enough money. But the reality is God is sovereign and God is loving and he's given me enough time to do all that he asked me to do and he's given me enough money and resource to do all that he asked me to do, which means if I'm frantically running around and losing my grip, I must be doing a whole bunch of stuff he doesn't want me to do and I must be buying a whole bunch of stuff he doesn't want me to buy. I have two grandsons now. My oldest grandson, Jeffrey, is two and a half. And Jeffrey kind of has a love affair right now with Happy Meals, which he calls Happies. Happies. And uh, I mean, he is fascinated with Happies. In fact, uh, Jeffrey and I will have this conversation sometimes. Jeffrey, would you like a new car? No, Pop. Happy. Happy. Jeffrey, would you like a million dollars? No, Pop. Happy. Happy. See, the golden arches have gotten into his brain, right? Whatever those people did there, the toy that falls apart, the chicken nuggets that are made of something. Um, but I mean, the kid lives for this stuff, right? And so I've even said to him, I said to him over the weekend, Jeffrey, what do you want for Christmas? Here's what he said. No money, Pop, no money. Happy, happy. And here's the reality. He'll grow up. And he'll realize that a happy meal doesn't quite cut it. The toys do break. And, you know, you go to school, the toy's not going to help you too much. And the toy's not going to help you get a job. And the chicken nuggets will be consumed. And the French fries get old and they're lost down the car seat. And uh, a happy meal will not satisfy. But to his way of thinking right now, if he had a happy today, he would be satisfied not just today, but forever and ever. What do you point to as your happy these days? We all have something, right? You point to it, if I had that, I'd be happy, I'd be content. But here's the reality. The things that we've pointed to in the past, God has given us graciously some of that stuff and we're still living with more. We, we need more, we need better. The reality is only God's gift at Christmas satisfies forever. It's not a happy meal and it's not whatever else we point to or think will satisfy. It's what only God can give. Well, let me give you a money quiz. Since we had a time quiz, I'll give you a money quiz. Only two questions here because I think you're already with me on this one. Uh, how about this one? More is better. You with me? More is, that's kind of the American motto, right? If this is good, then more is better. If I just had more, I'd be happy. If I had more, I'd be generous. If I had more, I'd be able to do this. If I had more, life would be wonderful. More is better. But the reality is it's not. Sometimes the more we have, the more anxious we are. The more we have, the more we worry. The more we have, the more we want. And sometimes more is not always better. 
How about this one? Do you ever live with this motto? Buy now, pay later. That's a myth. Do you notice I put that under the money myth category? Um, that's not true. Payday always comes. It usually comes like January, February. And so now what do we say? Well, even though I don't like these people that much, I need to give them something. And so we spend money we don't have on people we don't even like because we can buy now and pay later. And I don't have to rehearse the uh, sad statistics that compounded interest give us, right? Um, Family, American families are in debt, and part of the reason they're in debt, and you wind up with these, you know, strictions, you wind up with these bands on you that don't allow you to experience some of what you want because we're paying for last Christmas and we're paying for last year's vacation and we're just adding more to it. More isn't always better, and you can't buy now and pay later. They're myths. They're myths. Have you ever lost your grip? We're tempted on December 1st this year to lose our grip. So we're gonna talk about is how to get a grip then. How can we get a grip this year and not lose it the way we have in the past? Now, here's my strategy. I'm gonna remind you of a couple familiar pictures, a couple familiar pictures that will help you um, realize the reality of who God is and who we are. And then once you kind of wrestle with the pictures and reflect on them, there's some outcomes or implement, or we can implement a few things that will actually allow us to get a little more space. So uh, here's kind of a, a verse that, that, that we're going to, uh, to, to look at from Isaiah. Oh, you, oh well, we'll do the John 10 verse first. Here's the first picture. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for a sheep. Now, I don't have to tell you, this is one of the most familiar pictures in all of the Bible. Let me give you some stats. The word sheep is used in the Bible more than 400 times. The word shepherd, over 100 times. You kind of get the idea, God wants us to think about this picture a little bit. God wants us to think about the metaphor. In fact, maybe God created sheep and designed the role of shepherds to teach us something about us and teach us something about him. Jesus is our good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. What do shepherds provide for sheep? provision. Shepherds lead them to what they need to eat. Shepherds protect them, kind of keep the enemies away. Shepherds guide and direct and lead. Shepherds do all that really cool stuff. The sheep don't have to worry too much about where they're going to eat because the shepherd's doing that. The sheep don't have to worry whether they'll be protected. The shepherd's worrying about that. The sheep don't have to worry about what's going to come next. The shepherd's thinking about leadership and guidance. Well, we're sheep. God's our shepherd. Jesus is our good shepherd. He lays down his life for us. Therefore, we can trust him with the provision. We can trust him with the protection. We can trust him with the guidance. So in the interest of adding a little bit of time and space to our December, I'm gonna read you a psalm. And I don't want you to do anything. I don't want you to look it up. I just want you to sit there. I want you to think about the psalm. The most famous psalm, chapter in the whole Bible, and it's about sheep and a shepherd. And maybe when you're tempted to live at a frantic pace or empty your wallet unnecessarily, maybe you need to think about who you are and who God is. Psalm 23 says it like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul.
He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know what that psalm says? We can relax this December. You can build a little space, add a little margin to these next few weeks because God's our shepherd. We're his sheep. He's leading, protecting, providing. The pressure's off. Build some time, build some margin into your life. First picture. Here's another picture that's actually a little more personal and we at least appear a little better in the, in the picture. And that is God is father, which means we are children. Uh, I just picked one from a few verses from Romans chapter eight. Here's how Paul says it. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fret. God is our father. He knows what's going on in our lives. He knows what we face. We know, he knows what we lack. And he's able to build those things and build us into what he wants us to be. Every parent in this room, it doesn't matter how old your kids are, every parent in this room knows that your kids think your stuff is their stuff. You ever notice that? My daughter's never, ever asked to borrow anything. If I can't find something, I begin by calling them because they think my stuff is their stuff. Now, their stuff is not my stuff. It doesn't work that way, but my stuff is their stuff. And you know what? That makes perfect sense. It's actually legal. Kind of works like this. If you don't have a will, now, by the way, you should have a will. Don't say, Charles said don't have a will. You should have a will. But if you don't have a will, here's the legal reality. If you don't have a will and you die, your spouse gets all your stuff. You don't need a will for your spouse to get your stuff. And if you and your spouse, spouse both die, your kids get all you, your stuff. You don't even need a will for that. That just kind of naturally happens. Our kids are kind of living out the reality while we're, while we're still alive, that's all. I mean, our stuff is their stuff. The law recognizes our stuff will one day be their stuff, and today our stuff, they act as if it is their stuff. Our kids live as if they have authority over our stuff. And it isn't just inheritance, it's a present reality. And our kids also live with a sense of intimacy and connection that other people don't have to you. Your kids can come and see you when they want. They don't have to knock at the door. They, don't have, they expect you to return their calls. They live expecting you to be there. And the truth is, we're usually there. If we can all be, God is our father. We can rest. We're his children. His resources are ours. That's why sometimes when you read in the New Testament, and you know, Jesus talks about, we need to come to God as children. What's that mean? Children expect that God wants the best for them. And they live almost as if, his stuff is their stuff. And it's not arrogance. It's part of being in the family because it's not a business relationship like at work where if you don't perform, you get fired. 
If you don't perform in a family, nothing really happens. You still come to Christmas dinner. You're still a kid. Um, well, with God, we're family. We're family. And one last picture. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Here's how Isaiah says it. This is the Christmas verse. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government, right, there's kind of that king again, the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. So you see kind of the sheep picture again, right, with counselor. You see the Father Peace, Prince of Peace. And here's a Christmas reality. We all want peace, right? I don't think I've ever met a person that doesn't want peace. I want peace on the inside, peace on the outside. But the reality is, you need Jesus as prince in order to get the peace. If you don't have prince, Jesus, you don't get the peace that he promises to give. Just like you can't experience the benefits of God as king unless you live as, with God as your king. The problem is, we want the peace, the shalom, life as it should be, without living with God as our king and Jesus as our prince. You can't get there from here. And so Christmas is about Jesus coming as our king. How many of the songs we sing are all about Jesus born, the newborn king? Joy to the world, the king has arrived. Jesus is king. Well, we often don't treat him as king. We don't treat Jesus as prince. But the only way to get to the peace is that Jesus is king. The two things go together. So three pictures. Why can we rest? Why can we build some margin into our lives? Now, here's why. We're sheep. Jesus is our shepherd. We're children. God is our father. We're subjects and citizens. Jesus is our king. And because of that, the pressure's off. We can relax. We can build some margin and space in our lives because of who God is and because of who we are. Now, rather than just kind of end there and say, think about the pictures and build some margin in your life, let, let me give you four uh, kind of helpful hints. So what can we do over these next few weeks to uh, build some margin, build some space in our lives so, don't, so we don't wind up missing Christmas the way we have in the past? Here's one. Don't allow the urgent to strangle the important. You know, I've used those words for decades. Here's why. When all the way back when I was in college, I read a little booklet by Charles Hummel, somebody gave me, it was called Tyranny of the Urgent. And in the book, what Hummel does, he compares the urgent, things that have to be done, things that clamor for your attention, the emails have to be returned, the phone calls have to be, and the important things, those things that are easily put off, but at the end of your life, you really is built on important, not on urgent things. What do we do? We often sacrifice the important for the urgent, but Hummel says, we've got it backwards. Make sure you don't allow the urgent to strangle the important. So we're going to get started right now, kind of old school. Take your phone under the kind of reminder section or take a piece of paper and a pencil. Write down the things that you want to have accomplished or you want to do this month. Write some of those things down. Um, I want to invite these few people to come to church with me. I want to pray for these things. I want to be involved in bringing toys um, for our Oxford Circle gift. I want to be involved in serving people. I want to be, have some time to listen to what my coworkers are saying and respond with wisdom and at least give them the gift of my time rather than always being in a hurry and, in a hurry and never available. What are some things you want to write them down so you don't lose track of them? Because I can tell you, on the way home from church this afternoon, the urgent will clamor for your attention. 
It's going to clamor about what's got to be done before lunch and what's got to happen this afternoon and tomorrow morning. You have to get ready for that and Tuesday. And if you're not careful, the urgent will strangle the important. And at the end of your life, you will be pulled all over and we will be losing our grip because the urgent things may be accomplished, but the important things really aren't. Live by priority and on purpose rather than by pressure. That's kind of the point. You need to build time to do it. Uh, Second helpful hint. Refuse to play the comparison game. Nothing will destroy margin. Nothing will empty your wallet and fill your schedule like comparison. Nothing. Because you'll climb on the treadmill, you'll see someone else has what you don't have, and you'll frantically try to get it, and you'll put in more time to be able to buy it. You'll run after this, run after, and you will run after what other people have. But that's not how we should be living. I actually lived this the last couple of weeks. I hesitate to tell you, but I'll tell you. I was hunting a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I, I was going to say, I, I didn't catch. People say, did you catch anything? You don't catch anything when you go hunting, all right? So, sorry. I, I did get a deer, but I didn't catch it, all right? So I got a deer. And I got the deer my last full day there. And I'll tell you what. When I brought it into camp, I was pretty excited. It was like at least tie for the biggest deer in camp. That's right, yeah, I got it. it. Didn't take much effort. Yeah, just a good hunter. That's what happened, right? Oh, really difficult, tricky shot. Yeah, guy, oh, wonderful. I, I felt really good. And everybody comes up to me at the end, boy, Charles, that's some deer you got. Yeah, boy, real heavy horn, lots of poetry. Yeah, yeah, we got that. I'm feeling really good, right? I'm traveling home I'm in the airport, and I receive a text message with a picture of one of my friends who was hunting there right after me, and his deer made Mayan look small and puny. And all of a sudden, I didn't like my deer much anymore. That puny little thing, how in the world did I get? I wanted a deer like this guy, right? I should have, something stupid like that, right? We play the comparison. It happened here Wednesday night. Tables packing meals for Rise Against Hunger. They see how many meals the other table's packing. They frantically pick up the pace because they want to beat the other team. Now, that was a good comparison, right? We pack more meals. Comparison is deadly, though. It'll fill your schedule and empty your wallet. God treats us as individuals. God brings into our lives just what we need to make us into what he wants us to be. Refuse to play the comparison game. Third helpful hint. Plan time to reflect and remember. We're giving you some helpful hints and tools over these next few weeks. So this morning we're saying, hey, get a grip and prepare for Christmas. Next week, look at Christmas from a different perspective from through the eyes of kids. And maybe we'll learn some things we wouldn't know about Christmas if we keep looking from our own perspective. Then on the 15th, let's look at Christmas, you know, a stripped down version. Let's just reflect and remember what happened as it's written. And then 22nd, invite your friends, family members, coworkers, let's come and celebrate together. We're giving you some tools to reflect and remember but that's probably not gonna be enough. So here's what I would recommend. It's pretty easy to remember. Read the first few chapters of Matthew and the first few chapters of Luke a couple of times over the next few weeks. That's where the Christmas story is. We only get the Christmas story in two of the gospels, the first few chapters of Matthew and the first few chapters of Mark, and that's it. 
So read them. Read them slowly, reflectively. Get up a few minutes early. Put your butt in a chair. Get your cup of coffee. And rather than start the email right away and get, go online and run out the door, take a few minutes, get up early, and build a little time for reflection and remembering into your day. And start your day by reflecting and remembering. And then gather together week by week, and let's reflect and remember together. And one more thing. Become the most generous person you know. Some of you think, Charles, you don't understand. I don't have much money. I didn't say anything about money. Become the most generous person you know. But here's the point. You can't generously give other people your time if you don't have any time to give them because you're frantically filling your schedule with lots of urgent things. And you can't give people a gift financially or other means if you don't have some disposable something to give them. So if we don't build any margin and we don't have any space in our lives, we can't be generous at all. And part of the problem here is everything in our lives we think has to be perfect before we're able to give time and give energy. I remember a, a couple of years ago, Matt Reed grabbed me in the atrium and he said, Charles, do you know the difference between hospitality and entertaining? I was in a hurry, so I didn't even have time to listen, just ran by. Uh, no. I said, no, Matt, what's the difference? He said, entertaining is just putting on a show. It involves a lot of time and a lot of money. Hospitality is inviting people into your home and inviting people into your life. The Bible never commands us to entertain. I'm not saying don't ever entertain, but the Bible doesn't command you to entertain. The Bible does command us to be hospitable. But the only way we can be hospitable is if we have some time and we have some resource that we're able to bless people by giving them a taste, a tangible taste of Christmas with our time and with our resources. But if we're losing our grip, it's never going to happen. I thought we'd end the service this morning by having Justin come out. and He's going to lead us in a song. And so we're going to take the last few minutes of our service. We're going to try to do these things. We're going to sing about the important and not the urgent. We're not going to compare. We're going to just think about God and us. And we're going to reflect and we're going to remember through the words of the song what Christmas is. And hopefully we're going to become more generous because we're able to give our time and give some of our resource to others. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we often lose a grip. We lose a grip on our schedules, and before you know it, we're running from activity to activity, and people seem to be nothing but a nuisance in the midst of the process. And Lord, we believe the myths about money, that if we just had more, 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 and sometimes we buy now and hope to pay later, and we're living in that treadmill. Lord, help this year to be a little different. And help us to uh, reflect on the pictures, to realize that you're our shepherd. The pressure's off. You're our father. We can relax. Jesus, you're our prince. If we follow you, we'll experience peace. So it help us to uh, get a grip this month as we prepare for Christmas. Help 2019 to be the best thus far. We pray in Jesus' name.